In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you're being seated, turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. For a sermon I've entitled, Seeking a Sign or a Savior. You don't have to go very far to see that people, many people, are looking for signs and wonders and miracles and different types of things like that. And, and I think part of that might just be that we like excitement. That's true, right? We like excitement. Some of you today may watch the race Talladega today. Some NASCAR fans, anybody? Just two of us? Okay. Um, but most people don't like the race, right? It's just boring. They just go around in circles. You know, I actually like it. But, but even if you don't like it, I bet you like to see the big crashes because it's, like, it's excitement. It's like, what's going on? It's just wildness. It's crazy. And so some people watch just, just, for, the, just for the crashes. Um, but not only do people look for excitement in life, but in church as well. And it's okay we talked about this a lot last week, some of us did, it's, it's okay to have excitement and we should be excited to know Christ and to serve Christ, and, but there's a difference between being excited to serve Christ and looking for God to do something exciting that we might say that is a sign or a, something God has done so that then I might follow him. And as I was thinking on that this week, randomly I came across this documentary from 1972 called Marjo. Anyone ever heard of Marjo? Probably not. Marjo, this is a very interesting story. Marjo was a four-year-old preacher. His parents were Pentecostal preachers and molded him from the time he was born to become this preacher. So there's a video of him at four years old preaching these sermons, all dressed up, and he did weddings. He had memorized the wedding stuff. He could, he could do weddings. And so they traveled around the country, and particularly in the South, and made millions of dollars off their son, who was a traveling preacher. When he became a teenager, 14, 15 years old, he, he didn't want to do it anymore. He, he moved to Hollywood to try to become an actor. That didn't work out. And so in 1971, he, and by the way, he wasn't a Christian, and he knew it. And in 1971, he said, I need some money. I'm broke. I don't know what to do. I'm not getting any acting gigs. I will just go preach and make money. And he said, but not only that, I'll make a documentary out of it. And so he hired a film crew, got a film crew to come. They travel around. This is very interesting. And, and he preaches these very charismatic services where people are, he's hitting them in the head. And they're passing out on the floor. Y'all seen this before? They're passing out on the floor. They're shaking. And, and then he goes back to his hotel room with the film crew and he tells them, the secrets behind by how he makes those things happen, which is nothing to do with God. It's all manipulation and ways he knows to manipulate people. And people just keep bringing money to him. And he's in his hotel room just counting the money. And it's just an amazing, amazing thing to see. And he, he eventually said, even though he wasn't a Christian, he eventually said, you know what, this isn't right. <laughs> and he eventually retired from fake preaching um, to just go live another life in, in Hollywood or something. But I'll tell you that story because... As I watched that, all these people, and these were big churches, hundreds of people piled into churches and tent revivals, and you could tell they weren't satisfied to hear the word of God. They had to see some type of sign, some type of excitement, some type of emotional thing had to happen for them to have church, what they would call church. 
And I want to tell us before we get into our text this morning that true faith, saving faith, does not require signs and wonders. Actually, that's the opposite of faith, isn't it? I read to you a moment ago from Hebrews 11, faith is the assurance of things not seen or things hoped for. So faith that requires a sign is not faith. And so this morning we're going to see uh, our sermon in a sentence this morning is belief in the word of Christ is superior to belief in the wonder of miracles. Belief in the word of Christ is superior to belief in the wonder of miracles. So we're going to work through these verses. So if you're in John chapter 4, verse 43, say word. All right, are you all awake? Here we go. Verse 43 says, Now after two days, Jesus departed thence and went into Galilee. Then it says, For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no honor in his own country. Then when he was coming to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things that he did at Jerusalem at the feast, for they also went unto the feast. Now, you all remember earlier in chapter 4, Jesus is in Samaria, and he's walking through this land. He meets the woman at the well. He preaches the gospel to her, or he reveals himself to her. She goes back and tells the, the people in town, come see this Christ. He's the Messiah. They run back to Jesus, and Jesus begins to teach them, and the Bible says many of them believe. That's the first part of chapter 4. And so now verse 43 tells us that Jesus, after two days of being with them, he's going north, he's going to Galilee, and he's going to speak to some, some new people, some different people, but it's actually his hometown. And, and here's what's amazing. The Samaritans, culturally speaking, should not have received Christ, but they did. And now he's going to go back home <coughs> to Galilee, where they, you would think they would receive him, but what did he say in verse 44? He said, uh, something he had previously said, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. I told you all the story, <clears throat> I think last, at the end of last year, I uh, met a preacher, probably about my age, maybe a little younger, last year, whose mother had, was an influential part of the church, and the mother, are we live today? Okay, I'm going to say it anyway. They're not watching. The mother had his own son fired from being the pastor for no good reason other than she could. That was last year. Last night, I was talking to a friend of mine who said, again, I, I wasn't even talking about this, although I was thinking about it. She said, my, pastor, my pastor's mother and I think an aunt maybe were attending the church, had been to the church, and they left the church. I was like, that's pretty bad, right? If your own mother leaves your church, but according to this person, it was the mother had the issue, not the preacher. The preacher was preaching the word of God. The mother didn't like it. The mother left the church. So that's pretty tough, right? But I've always heard that. I don't know if you've had, y'all have experience with that. I've always heard that if you grow up in a church or if your church with family members is a pastor, sometimes that can be difficult because they may not see you as that, that pastor figure. Well, Jesus laid this principle out here when he said, even in my hometown, you know, in my hometown, I'm you know, without, without honor. But look at verse 45. Because this could be misleading. It says, when he came there, did, did they receive him and welcome him? It says they did, right? But why did they receive him? That's the question, right? 
Did they receive him because they thought he was, you know, the son of God? No. Did they receive him because he was one of their own? No. They sought after Jesus because of his power and his gifts. They had seen him do miracles earlier. Some of them were probably at that wedding in Cana of Galilee and saw him turn water to wine, possibly. Or they were at, some of them were at Jerusalem, the scripture tells us, and they saw the things he, he, had, he, had, he did. And I was trying to just look back. We were only in chapter 4 of John. In chapter 1, verse 11, it says, Jesus came to his own people and they did not receive him. In chapter 2, it says, Jesus did not entrust himself to the people because he knew what was in man. So we come back to these people in Galilee here, and we see that the people in Jesus' homeland are sign seekers, not savior seekers. That's kind of a misleading statement, I think. This is not in my notes. Well, maybe in my notes. Yeah. Sign seekers, back to that, pre- yeah, go back to that previous one, Kendall. The people in Jesus' homeland are sign seekers, not savior seekers, but technically nobody's a savior seeker. Romans 3 says no one seeks God. There are none who come after God only when he draws us. But the point is, these people are coming to Christ for the wrong reasons. As I was thinking about these Galileans and trying to put myself in their place, like how would I react? Would I be the same as them? Would I see Jesus and say, well, he's just, he's just one of us. You know, He can't be special. How can he be special? He's from here, right? How can he be special? Well, here, here are three dangers of this hometown mentality when it comes to Christ. First, I think there can be a sense of attachment. And this is all application for us, by the way. Are, is it dangerous for us to maybe become so attached to our church or a movement or a music style or a pastor that that becomes more important than Christ? I pray you will love your pastor, but I pray you'll love Christ much, much more. I pray you will talk good about your pastor, but I pray you'll talk much, much more about Christ, right? We must be careful because many people will say, well, it's a Christian thing. It must be good, but are we doing it for the glory of Christ? The second one is entitlement. You know, there's this sense of entitlement like, again, Jesus, he's from our town. We should get first dibs with him or we should have special dibs with him. And I've seen in churches how entitlement can creep in. When we begin to think, I deserve the blessings of Christ, I deserve the things that God has given, when we all know, don't we, we're unworthy of all the blessings. They're all grace. They're all free gifts. Entitlement can destroy our faith, and it can destroy churches. And the third one there is a sense of familiarity. How can this man, this is the son of Joseph, how can he be, we know Joseph, we knew Joseph, how can this man be the son of God? And so by that sense of familiarity, they they don't see They see the ordinary, not the extraordinary. How many of us have known Christ for so long? We know the Bible. We know church, how church works. How many of us have done those types of things so long that Christ has lost meaning in our lives? That should not be the way it is, right? We should still be uh, loving toward Christ, in love with who Christ is in us. So these people, back to your text there, these people in 43 through 45, they are... They are wanting to see Jesus because of miracles and signs. and So Jesus here is dealing with an attitude of unbelief. Unbelief that is cloaked in 
well, we want you, we receive you, but they, deep down, they do not believe. Look at verse 46 and 47. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. Verse 47, when he heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went unto him and besought him that he would come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Here in these verses, we meet this character in the story, this noble man, this royal official. He was a man of wealth, a man of status, likely connected to royalty in that day and age. And he lived in Capernaum, and so he traveled some 20 miles and for us, 20 miles is easy, right? For them, that wasn't as easy. He traveled some 20 miles to come see Jesus. What stands out to me about that is this is a rich man, probably a man of status. And he's going to leave his town and travel 20 miles to meet with the son of a carpenter. He must be desperate, right? Well, he was desperate. Look at verse 47, right? His son doesn't tell us how old he was. Many people believe he was a, a child, but his son was sick even to the point of, of death. So, and this can be an interesting question here, but was this man coming to Jesus for the right reason? That would be a good Wednesday night discussion, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be? Was he coming to Jesus for salvation? I'll let that soak for a second. I think this man had exhausted every option to save his son. I bet he had hired every doctor he could find. I bet he had tried everything. And he heard Jesus was going to be nearby, 20 miles, and he said, he's done miracles. I've heard about his miracles. I'm desperate to save my child. I'll walk 20 miles and see what happens. Many of you are parents. You've had sick children. It's the worst, isn't it? When your kids are sick, it's the worst. When Ruthie was born, my four-year-old, she... She spent a month in the ICU, and just night after night, we stayed in there, and just seeing her and these other kids with all these things hooked up to them, so awful seeing a child, especially a baby, sick. So I don't, I'm not indifferent to the suffering of this noble man, and I don't think Jesus was either, but when he first comes to Jesus in these verses, he's coming for that sole purpose, to try to get healing for his son. Look at verse 48 with me. A very key verse in this text. Jesus said unto him, Except ye see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So Jesus looks at the man, but then he speaks, I think, not only to this man, but to all the Galileans around and says, You and you all, you will not believe unless you see signs and wonders. You see, this man needed forgiveness, he needed Christ as Savior. But he was only coming to Christ at first for the sickness of his son. And I don't think that should surprise us because unbelievers often try to use God for their own purposes. And God oftentimes uses that to draw them to him. Look at verse 49. What does this official do? He says in verse 49... Sir, come down before my child dies. You think he's begging? He's begging, I think. Please, please come before my child dies. Verse 50, Jesus said unto him, 
Go thy way, thy son liveth. Now look at this phrase. The man believed the word that Jesus had spoken to him, and he went his way. Stay on that verse. Do you see it? He believed the word. How hard must it have been for him to turn around? Jesus only said this. Go home. Your son will live. And the man turns, believing the word, and starts to go home. What would have happened if he would have said, no, I'm not going, Jesus. You've got to come with me. Would that have been his, would that have been his faith? No, right? I'm not going home unless you come. It's not what he did. He believed the word Jesus spoke, and he turned, proving his faith, and he left. Well, let's read the final verses, 51 through 54. And as he was now going down, his servants met him. And, and by the way, he had servants. He had slaves. Again, this is a wealthy guy. They met him, and they say, your son lives. Verse 52, then inquired he of them the hour when he began to amend or feel better. And they said unto him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. So the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said unto him, Thy son liveth, and himself believed in his whole house. Verse 54, this is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. This man believed the word of Christ, believed in Christ, went back home, realized, right, when was my son healed? At the very moment Jesus spoke those words of power from 20 miles or so away. Is the word of God powerful? Now, we know the voice of Christ. We're going to see in John 5, by the way, that the voice of Christ will raise the dead. We know he raised Lazarus, but in in the second coming, in the resurrection of, of us in the future, the voice of God will rise us up. The voice of Christ is very, very powerful. And this man realized it, and he trusted Christ. And not only did he turn to Christ himself, but he influenced his crowd and his whole household came to Jesus. Likely, his family and maybe even, probably even his servants came to Christ. Not only were they able to celebrate the son's healing, but even more so, they were able to see Jesus Christ for who he really was, their Savior. Let me give you five lessons from this text quickly here. Five lessons from the text, and this will be our application here at the end. I hope these can apply to us this morning, just some thoughts from these scriptures. First, uh, many people go to Jesus for selfish reasons. Verse 48 is plain and clear about that when Jesus said, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Are there people today who are saying, if God will just bless me with this, then I'll serve him. If God will do this for me, if God will do this, then I'll give God this. If God will give me this job, I'll start going to church. If God will give me this raise or this bonus or this promotion, if God will give me this, then I'll do this. Are there people today looking for a sign? Yeah, I believe there is. We already said Hebrews 11, faith is the opposite of looking for signs and wonders. And here's why this is important. Signs and wonders and miracles, although I I believe God can do things, God can heal people, God can do whatever he wants to do, he's God. But looking for those types of things outside the realm of the Word of God, 
is something that cannot change hearts, right? It can't change a heart. It can just make us feel like we're seeing something special or whatever, but we need our hearts changed. This is why as a church, we proclaim the plain yet powerful word of God, and we're not looking for all these charismatic signs and wonders, right? We, may, we need to make sure we're going to Christ for the right reasons. Number two, notice the second application here. All people have afflictions. I think this is important to bring out, and that is that this man was wealthy, and yet his son was, you know, on his deathbed. We know that troubles, trials, tribulations, suffering can affect everyone, right? Rich, poor, middle, wherever we fit in that category. Um, those who are famous have issues, right? You read stories about people like millionaires, some of them, and famous people who have so many struggles. The lesson is for us, church, don't be caught off guard when trouble comes your way. The next time trouble comes your way, sickness comes your way, a struggle comes your way, think about this official who said, you know what? I'm going to go and see this guy, Jesus. And we know Christ. We are Christians. We're believers. And so, as the song says, what's that old song say? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. The nobleman had to walk in his dirty sandals 20 miles. It probably took more than a day, I'm sure. We can just pause and pray to our Father. We can go to Jesus quickly, right, in prayer. Know that we have afflictions, but Christ is the, the place to take them. Number three, if we could get this this morning, it would be worth our day. Afflictions can benefit the soul. If this nobleman's son had never gotten sick, would he and his household have come to Christ? That's a good, that's a good uh, Wednesday night discussion as well. Was that the method, the tool God used to bring him to Christ? Yeah, in that situation it was. And so we see that afflictions can benefit the soul. Uh, I have to read you this J.C. Ryle quote because I'm required to read one J.C. Ryle quote every sermon. He said, affliction is one of God's medicines. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good quote. Put that in your memory bank. Affliction is one of God's medicines. Oh, I hate giving my kids medicine. It's the worst. Are y'all's kids bad about that? When you had kids younger, you guys are younger kids, they fight you, they flail. Like, take your medicine. But we don't like medicine. It don't taste good, but it's good for us, right? Affliction doesn't feel good, but it can benefit the soul. So Ralph said this, By affliction, God often teaches lessons which would be learned in no other way. By afflictions, he draws souls away from sin in the world which would have otherwise perished. Health is a great blessing, but sanctified disease is greater. We've got people in this room who would testify and say, when I became sick, I got closer to Christ. When I lost this loved one, as tough as it was, I became closer to Christ. We have people that will testify. Psalm 119 says, It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Church, when we go through afflictions, we go through trials and tribulations, 
our natural instinct is to mumble, complain, why me, pity party? That's what I do. Why me? I'm throwing a pity party, party of one. That's what we do. I wish I could be more like these biblical folks. And when afflictions come, be more like Job. Chapter 13, when he said this, Though he slay me, yet I will praise him. Who can say that this morning? Though he slay me, yet I praise him. Instead of mumbling and complaining in our days of trouble, may we see that God has given every trouble in our life for a purpose. Every sorrow, every affliction, every struggle you face, there's a purpose behind it. And we believe God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Number four, notice, um, this is definitely not an exciting thing to talk about, but even the young can be sick or, or die. And uh, Just a point to make here, most, a lot of people think this son was probably younger. I guess we know for sure, but either way, we know this is a fact that um, doesn't, we're not promised another day, are we? No matter what age we are. Some people live to be 100, and some people are never even born, right? And so we, we understand that. And um, one person said on this point, the first grave that was ever dug was not that of a father, but that of a son. Cain and Abel? Abel? Pretty interesting, right? And so we understand that we must be prepared to meet God, all of us. From the youngest child in here to the oldest adult, we must all be prepared to meet God. And the only way to be prepared is to have your faith in Christ and what he did on the cross and who he is, our Savior. Fifth and finally, Christ's word is as good as his presence. In our story this morning, let's see, let's see if you were listening. Did Jesus go to Capernaum? to the man's house and heal the child. He didn't go, did he? He just spoke it. So Jesus' word is as good as his presence. And whatever Christ says, whatever God says, God will do. God cannot lie, and he will accomplish all his purpose. And everything we, we find in, that, in his word that he promises, we can hold fast to it. Every sinner who said, I trust you, Father, and, and, and I've, I've received Christ. Every sinner who's turned to Christ, they have a sure eternity because God's word is sure. We should, therefore, fill our hearts and minds with the word of, of God. We don't have Christ standing here. We don't have him speaking to us, but we have the word, which is him speaking to us. And we must fill our hearts and minds with the word of Christ so that we'll have somewhere to lean in days of trouble. I encourage you, church, read the Word, listen to the Word, meditate on the Word, memorize the Word, study the Word, come on Wednesday nights with us and discuss the Word and apply the Word to your life. If we're going to be the Christians we need to be and the church we need to be, it won't happen apart from a regular steady diet of God's Word. It just can't happen. So we all need it. We all need it individually and as a group. I, I remember the story I read years ago in a book by a man named Donald Whitney. And, and I may have shared this with you. And this will be my final thing here. 
There was a man in Kansas City who was severely injured in a like a chemical plant explosion, I believe it was, and he, he lost his um, sight and both his hands in this explosion. And he had just become a Christian, and so he really wanted to read the Bible, but, you know, no eyes, and, and his hands messed up, so he couldn't use Braille. But he, he read of a lady in England who made, who had read Braille with her lips. And so he ordered the Bible in Braille to try to read it with his lips. And so he gets in, and he's excited to read God's Word, and he put it on his lips, and he realized he couldn't fill the braille with his lips. That's pretty disappointing, right? He thought he had a good plan. But as he was frustrated and, and trying to put his lips on this braille to read the Bible, his tongue kind of came out of his mouth and just went across the, the letters on the braille, and he realized he could fill it. And so he began to read the Bible using his tongue. And when th this book was written years ago, he had read through the Bible, I think, four or five times through the entire Bible with his tongue. And I think, man, what's my excuse? <laughs> right? Most of us have eyes to see. And we need to look at number five, trust the word of Christ. And we need to get into that word until that word gets into us. Belief in the word of Christ is superior to belief in wonder, the wonder of miracles. My prayer for us this morning is that God would help us believe in him and his word the way that noble man believed in his word in our story. Let's pray.